If you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 in your New Testament. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 21 this morning, which serves as a motivation for the instructions that Peter has just given in the previous six verses of chapter 1. If you recall, Peter has just given three ways we as believers are to respond to God in light of our salvation. And that is that we are to live lives of reverence, righteousness, and readiness. Just so you remember, Peter is teaching us in this letter, Christianity 101. In other words, he's been showing us what essential Christianity truly is. And what we've been seeing ever since the opening verses of this letter is that Christianity, that is, having a right relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, it all begins, as verse 3 says, with a little thing called being born again. And that is describing of how God pushes us by His mercy and power into a new life, one of spiritual life. The reality is, before this miraculous moment occurs... Scripture teaches us that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are in bondage to them, spiritually unresponsive to God. Indeed, Scripture says we are hating God and hating one another. But then God, in His mercy and His compassion, comes to us by His grace and He makes us spiritually alive in Christ Jesus and gives us a heart that loves Him and seeks to know Him and obey Him. This is the miracle of Christianity. That is the basis, the foundation of this movement called Christianity. It is a divine miracle called being born again. And this is what makes true biblical Christianity so thoroughly unique, by the way. Because unlike other religions, the Christian life doesn't begin with our work or our efforts or our actions. The Christian life actually begins with God's work and God's power and God's actions. See, the story of the gospel is not a record of how we as men see God in all of His glory and we strive to work our way up to Him. No, the story of the gospel is a record of God seeing us as men and women in all of our guilt and sin and shame and He comes down to deliver us. That truth is seen no more clearly than in the miracle of the new birth where God, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, He makes us alive together in Christ Jesus and by His miraculous power causes us to be born again to a brand new life. Therefore, in light of this, in light of this new spiritual life that we have come to experience through faith in Jesus Christ by God's grace, how ought we to live? Right? How do we live a life of worship to God that shows Him how much we appreciate what He has done for us? Because that's what the Christian life is. It's not a list of rules and regulations, do this and don't do that. The Christian life is simply a life of joyful gratitude, worshiping God for what He has done for us. So how do we respond to God in light of our great salvation? Well, that's what this whole book of 1 Peter is about, but particularly the passage that we've just been finishing studying in verses 13 through 19. In those seven verses, we were taught that in light of our undeserved salvation and our miraculous new birth, we as Christians ought to live lives of reverence, righteousness, and readiness. 
First, we ought to live reverent lives because as verses 17 through 18 of 1 Peter 1 teaches us, through the new birth, our heavenly Father is now the impartial judge of all the earth. He is our Father now. Therefore, we ought to live reverent lives considering who our Father is. Second, we ought to live righteous lives because as verses 14 through 16 of chapter 1 says, the God who has caused us to be born again is holy. And as children called by the Holy King, we ought to bear our Father's holy image. We ought to live reverent lives in appreciation for what God has done. We ought to live righteous lives in appreciation of what God has done. And then finally, we ought to live ready lives. We ought to live ready lives. Lives ready to make a quick departure because as verse 13 teaches us, we're simply exiles here on earth and we are waiting for the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns to take us to himself and to glorify us in a moment by his grace. We ought to live lives of reverence, righteousness, and readiness. And though we examined the wondrous work of our redemption in verses 3 through 12, what we're going to see this morning is that the primary motivation for why we ought to live such lives of worship towards God is because of the precious person of our redemption. That's seen in verses 19 through 21. Peter states in verses 18 through 19 that we ought to live lives of worship towards God because we know that we were ransomed, we were redeemed, as verse 19 says, with the precious blood of Christ. See, that's why we ought to live lives of worship towards God, not merely because of the wondrous work of our redemption, but also because of the precious person who accomplished that redemption. Jesus Christ, simply by virtue of who Jesus is, Jesus deserves our worship, our adoration, and our lives. And we're reminded why this morning, verses 19 through 21, as we consider together this morning five reasons why Jesus is precious and worthy of our worship. Why he is our precious redeemer. <clears throat> so, with that in mind, let's read 1 Peter chapter 1 and for context verse 17 on to 21. The apostle Peter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit writes these words for us today. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 17. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. This is the Word of God, whose righteousness is righteous forever and whose law is ever true. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the blessed privilege we have this morning to open up your word and to study it. Father, we thank you for your great promise that even as feeble men seek to teach your truth, 
You have promised that you will accompany the teaching and preaching of your word with power by your spirit. And so, Father, I pray that you would do that this morning as we consider the person of Christ. The one whom angels worship day and night and cover their eyes as they behold his glory. Father, we pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts even as we're studying this passage to see his glory rightly and to live lives of worship in response to who Jesus is. By your grace, Father, work in our lives. By your Spirit, through your Word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now as we uh, considered briefly last time in our study, we we are reminded in verse 19 that we ought to worship God and live lives of reverence, righteousness and readiness towards him because as Peter puts it we have been ransomed we've been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ here Peter is reminding us that that great climactic moment on the cross when Jesus the Messiah God's son the author of life himself poured out his life unto death for us we are reminded that his life was a precious life His death was a precious sacrifice. Peter mentions this truth several times, by the way, in this letter of how precious the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ is. It's precious first to God the Father. He says in 1 Peter 2, verse 4, he says, You come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. The blood of Christ is precious to God the Father. Because it is the life of His only begotten Son. The blood of Christ is precious second to Christ Himself. We see this in chapter 2, verse 24, where it says, He Himself bore our sins in His own body on the tree, that we might die to sin and and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. The blood of Christ is precious to Christ Himself. Because it was his very own divine life that he poured out unto death on the cross. As Acts 20 verse 28 says, we have been purchased with his own blood. The blood of Christ is precious to God the Father. It's precious to Christ himself. And third, the blood of Christ is precious to all of us who have believed in him. Peter says in 1 Peter 2.7 that the honor, that is the honor of knowing the value of Jesus, he says, is for you who believe. Or as one translation puts it, now that, you, now that you believe, this stone is precious. The blood of Christ is precious to those of us who have trusted in Christ for salvation because when you study the pages of Scripture, it is by His blood, it is by faith in His sacrificial death on the cross alone that we are given God's own divine redemption, deliverance, forgiveness, peace, righteousness, intimacy, cleansing, access, family, and power. Literally, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is ours, as Ephesians 1.3 says, in Christ Jesus. Because He has purchased it by His own blood. So for everything that Christ has done, He deserves our worship and reverence. But what's interesting is, Peter doesn't mention any of those reasons here in this passage. He doesn't give any of those reasons. He simply states that the blood of Jesus Christ is precious because of who Christ is in and of Himself. Not because of what He's done, but because of who He is. 
And here Peter gives us five characteristics about Christ that make Him precious, that make Him worthy of worship, devotion, adoration, and reverence. And I'd like us to consider them all this morning and simply worship Jesus today. That's what this sermon is. It's a call for all of us to worship Jesus today for what a precious Redeemer He is. So first, Peter tells us here in this passage that Jesus is precious because He is our pure Redeemer. He is our pure Redeemer. As he says at the end of verse 19, we've been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. How? Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. In other words, Jesus is pure. He is spotless, sinless, faultless, and His life was pure and spotless in the eyes of God as well. Just like as Peter mentions, that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And with that one statement, by the way, Peter connects the believer's redemption at the cross back to Israel's redemption at the Passover. If you recall, around 1445 B.C., Israel was being held in captivity in Egypt as slaves. And God sent a man named Moses to go to the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, to to tell him to let God's people go. And Pharaoh says, as the kid's song goes, no, right? And so, God, in order to deliver his people from their bondage, he systematically lets loose a series of nine plagues on Egypt and to expose the hardness of Pharaoh's heart, as well as to demonstrate his own power and glory among all the nations. Well, Pharaoh did not let God's people go. And so God warned both Egypt and Israel that a final plague, a tenth plague, was coming, the death of every firstborn son. And the only way that anyone could ever be delivered from this wrath to come was if they demonstrated faith and obedience in what God's Word said. And listen, these are the instructions. This is what God's Word said in Exodus 12, verses 3-7. through It says this, Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for, for each household. Now understand, in that agricultural society, lambs were extremely precious. They were valuable. In fact, most of Israel at that time were sheep herders in, in Egypt, making their lives by breeding sheep. And lambs represented the next generation of their business, of their income. And so God says, I want each household to set aside a lamb, and not just any lamb. He says in Exodus 12, verse 5, Your lamb shall be, here it is, without blemish, a male of one year old. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly at the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Now think of that, especially if your livelihood was in sheep breeding. To kill the most unblemished and spotless lamb you have was to kill the most precious lamb because that was the one that would breed the next and the best generation of sheep. And God says, you need to sacrifice that one. You need to kill it. And then he says this, and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. And then verse 13 says, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. In other words, the best of the next generation of your lambs will be sacrificed in order to redeem and set free the next generation of your family. Now imagine being a father hearing those words. 
especially now that I have several children. Your own son's life depends on you finding a pure and spotless lamb. And so you run out into the fields looking for a lamb that will qualify, worried sick at the prospect that you might not find one. And then suddenly, there he is, provided for you. You grab him. You look him over. Is there any spot? Is there any defect you can find him at all? No. Hallelujah. Right? The lamb that will save your son has been found. So what do you do? Do you let that lamb go and say, good luck, stay away from the wolves for a while, I hope you make it to the 14th day of the month? No. You grab that little lamb, as verses 5-6 through say, and you take it from the sheep and the goats, and you keep them in your house over the next four days, watching him very, very carefully. Why? Because he is precious. He's the only lamb that can save your son. Finally, the night of the 14th arrives and you take the lamb and you kill it according to what God's Word says. As instructed, you collect its blood in a bowl where you begin to spread it on the side of your front door and on the top of the branches of hyssop, with the branch of hyssop. Do you think any father in Israel would have brushed just a thin sampling of that blood on the wood and then thrown out the rest? Not on your life. I assure you that every single father among them, you included, would have covered every inch of that doorway with every drop of that lamb's blood down to the very last drop. Why? Because you recognize something about that blood. It was precious. The blood of this lamb was the only thing that would save your son because it was pure and spotless. How precious that lamb and its sacrifice would have been to you. Peter's drawing on that image to apply it to us who have trusted in Christ. And he is telling us this this morning. Listen, the most precious lamb of all is the lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the most precious because he is the most pure. We're not talking about physical purity. We're talking about spiritual purity in the eyes of God. As Peter mentions later in chapter 2, verse 22, Peter says, He, meaning Jesus, committed no sin. Who among us can say that? He committed no sin. Neither was deceit ever found in his mouth. He never even twisted the truth. He was sinless. He never committed a single sin. Never thought an impure thought. He never expressed an inappropriate word. Jesus always did what was good and right and pleasing to the eyes of his Father. He was absolute perfection. As Hebrews 7.26 says, Jesus is holy, innocent, and undefiled. He's totally pure. As 1 John 3.5 says, so simply, in Him there is no sin. Now why is that so important? Why is it so important that Jesus had no sin? It's because as 1 Peter 3.5 also says, Jesus appeared to take away sin. That's why it's so important that Jesus had no sin. A dead person can never bring someone to life. A blind person can never perform eye surgery, and a sinner can never take the penalty for another person's sin. Only someone pure and spotless could do that, and that's exactly who Jesus is. He is, as John the Baptist, the last prophet, declared the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the pure and spotless one, and therefore Jesus can do what no other human being in all history could do. He can take away your sins. 
As Hebrews 9.14 states, the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself, listen to this, without blemish to God, exact same word as 1 Peter, the blood of Christ without blemish purifies our conscience to serve the living God. He cleanses you from the inside out. Because he had no sin, Jesus has taken the guilt. He can take the guilt of your sins for you if you trust in him. He can cleanse your heart. He can cleanse your mind. He can begin to make you increasingly pure like himself, the pure redeemer. That's the promise of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. He can take our sin and we can take his righteousness. That's the good news of the gospel. He can do that because he is our pure redeemer. And we ought to worship him because of that. That's what Peter is saying. Oh, we ought to worship Christ and we ought to live lives of reverence and righteousness and readiness because he is our pure redeemer like that of a lamb without blemish and spot. As Revelation 5, 9 exclaims, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed a people from God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Who did that? Verse 6, the lamb, the pure lamb of God, Jesus Christ. So we ought to worship Christ as precious. For he shed his pure and spotless blood on the cross for us that our robes, as Revelation 7 verse 14 says, might be made white by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus is precious because Jesus is pure. He is our pure Redeemer. Second, Jesus is precious because he is our promised Redeemer. That's at the beginning of verse 20 where it says he was foreknown. Listen to this. Foreknown before the foundation of the world. In other words, Jesus and his redemptive work on the cross was planned before the foundation of the world, before creation itself even occurred. It was always a part of God's plan. As Peter says over in Acts 2.23, this Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God had always planned that His Son would be the precious Redeemer of sinners. He had foreknown it, He had foreplanned it before time even began. He was ever and always the lamb to be slain from before the foundation of the world, as Revelation 13.8 says. It has always been planned. As Hebrews 4.3 declares, his works were finished from before the foundation of the world. Now that will hurt your brain for a while if you think about it too long. <laughs> the redemption of creation was planned before the fall of creation had ever begun. How do you make sense of that? I don't know, but it's true. God had already determined and chosen that Jesus would be the Savior of sinners before man had ever sinned. And we need to remember this. This salvation that you and I now enjoy in Christ Jesus is not some knee-jerk reaction from the Father in response to our sin. Oh man, got to clean this up now. No, this has always been the plan of God. As Titus 1-2 states, God promised eternal life when? When before the ages began. And you know what? Same God that chose the Redeemer also chose the redeemed. As Ephesians 1.4 says, God chose us in Christ when? Before the foundation of the world. That's the exact same phrase used here by Peter. And John in Revelation 17 verse 8 says the exact same thing. John writes that our names have been written in the book of life when? From the foundation of the world. When God chose the Redeemer, He chose those whom He would redeem. 
And so before the creation of the material universe, before there was even any human sinners to be redeemed, Christ in the eternal counsel and plan of God had already been chosen and promised as man's redeemer for us. That's why when you study Scripture at any length, at any depth, you will see like a stone skipping across the pool surface, you will see this promise of a Redeemer and a Messiah coming throughout all the pages of the Old Testament. Why? Because this was planned way before time even began. From Genesis 3 to Malachi 4, you see it throughout the pages of the Old Testament. It's because from before the foundation of the world, Christ already stood ready to accomplish our salvation. As Ron Hamilton wrote in one of his songs, before I loved him, he loved me. Before I found him, he found me. Before I sought him, he sought me. Oh yes, Jesus cares for me. He's our promised Redeemer. Therefore, we ought to worship Him. We ought to live lives of reverence and righteousness and readiness. For this salvation that we now enjoy is no afterthought. It is the eternal life promised from before the ages began. And it has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ, our promised Redeemer. We ought to worship Him. So Jesus is precious because He is our pure Redeemer. Jesus is precious because He's our promised Redeemer. Next, Jesus is precious because he's our personal redeemer. That's at the end of verse 20, into the beginning of verse 21. Peter writes this, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but then he says this, but was made manifest in the last days for the sake of who? What does it say? You, who through him are believers in God. Should be an entire sermon in and of itself, but here we go. See, even though Jesus Christ, being God, has existed from before eternity began, eternity past, and planned to become man, and planned to become the Redeemer from before the ages began, God has now chosen to reveal Him, to make Him manifest. You say, well, how has Jesus been revealed? He's been revealed through His incarnation. 1 Timothy 3, verse 16 says this, He was manifested, how? In the flesh. Right? That's why John says over in John 1 verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus has been revealed in the flesh. Notice, in the last days. And what days are those? If you don't know it, it's the days we're currently living in. They're the days just before the end when the Messiah has been revealed and has been sacrificed when the promised new covenant is starting to be experienced and proclaimed among all nations, it's when the Holy Spirit is being poured out and salvation is reaching to the ends of the earth and the return of Christ is imminent at any moment. It is during these last days that the eternal Jesus has been revealed. Why? For the sake of you, Peter says. It is for your benefit. And what a benefit it is. When you consider the last days, 2 Timothy 3.1 says in the last days there will come times of difficulty. There's going to come times when scoffers are going to arise. When men won't tolerate sound teaching anymore. When many people who claim the name of Christ will fall away from Him, be led astray, and abandon the faith. God knew that these last days would be difficult. Extremely, and so He has given us a special grace for these last days. He has revealed to us the person and work of our Redeemer. 
The very thing that the Old Testament prophets, if you remember back in verse 11, longed to look into. What person? What time? That's been given to us. Been given to us. He's revealed to us the person and work of our Redeemer. That promised Redeemer who would offer salvation to the entire world has come at last and we know His name. His name is Jesus. And Him we proclaim as Colossians teaches. And as Philippians say, we proclaim Him so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father who sent Him. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you and I must be saved. It has been revealed to you. This truth has been revealed to you for your own sake. So is life in these last days difficult? Yes. Oh, but we know our Redeemer. Our personal Redeemer. Jesus Christ has been revealed in these last days for the sake of you. And don't miss this. Who through Him are believers in God. Did you catch that? We are believers in God how? Through Christ. As Hebrews 12 verse 2 states, Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Our faith in Christ, hold on to this, our faith in Christ ultimately comes from Christ. Which makes sense because everything comes from Christ, as Scripture teaches. John 1.3 says, All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made, both material and immaterial. As Colossians 1.16 states, By Him all things have been created, visible and invisible, faith included. Christ not only created you, but if you this morning can confess, I have trusted in Him, guess where that faith came from too? It came from the Christ who created you. He not only paid for your redemption, but this passage is teaching that He daily ensures your redemption. Through Him, you are right now believers in God. You have no reason to boast in yourself. You have every reason to worship your personal Redeemer. Peter, by the way, our author, knew this personally. As Jesus told him in Luke twenty-two thirty-two, he says, I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. And the reason why Peter even was able to write this letter was because he had a personal Redeemer who would not let his faith fail. Whoever lives to make intercession for us. And so do you, by the way. Jesus is a personal Savior. For you, as Jesus said in John 10, I lay down my life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that when Jesus Christ died on that cross, He didn't have some nebulous, abstract idea of who He might be dying for. He knew exactly who He was dying for. He knew their names. He knew their sins. He knew everything about them. Everything about you. And while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8 says, Jesus is a personal Redeemer. And so you want to worship Him. You are in His heart. You are in His heart. Is He in yours? We ought to surrender to Him, live a life of reverence, righteousness, and readiness before Him who loves us, knows us, and redeems us. Worship Him because He is a personal Redeemer. 
So Jesus is precious because he's our pure redeemer. Jesus is precious because he's our promised redeemer. Jesus is precious because he's our personal redeemer. Fourth, Jesus is precious because he is our preeminent redeemer. Peter says here that Jesus is the one whom God has raised from the dead and given him glory. That's how precious Jesus is. He is so precious that God first raised him from the dead. This truth is expressed throughout the New Testament, beginning with the author Peter himself being the first one, one of the first to arrive and investigate. Peter saw the empty tomb. And ever since he saw that empty tomb, he could not shut up about it. I mean, in Acts 2.24, he declared God raised him up. In Acts 2.32, Peter says, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. And again, in Acts 3, verse 15, Peter declared, God raised him from the dead. Of this we are witnesses. I saw it, he's saying. And then again in Acts 4, verse 10, God raised him from the dead. And this goes on and on throughout the book of Acts, throughout the New Testament, all the way through. It is the undeniable evidence of every New Testament witness that God raised Jesus from the dead, including, he says it seven times in this very letter. Why did God raise him from the dead? To validate Christ's perfect person, his perfect sacrifice, and his perfect work for sinners like us. On the cross, if you recall, Jesus cried out, it is finished. Three days later, God God declared, amen, it is true, by raising him from the dead. As Romans 1 verse 4 states, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. So that's why I want you to know that today we're not worshiping a dead Savior. He is no longer dead. He is alive, for God has risen Him from the dead. And not only that, but God has also given Him glory. I think this refers to Jesus' ascension, to His return into heaven. Just as Jesus prayed in John 17, verse 5, which I was reading this week, God gave Jesus the glory that He had enjoyed from before the world existed. Jesus was restored In his ascension, after he rose from the dead, he was restored to the glory and to his position of preeminence. Psalms 24, by the way, if you ever want to look that up later, reveals that very moment when he received that glory from behind the scenes when the psalmist says this in Psalms 24, verse 7, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O doors of eternity, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. So lift up your... And He bore the wounds of His battle on Him. So lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. He's not some meek and mild child confined to a manger. He is the preeminent Redeemer whom God has raised from the dead and given upon Him the glory that belongs to God alone. For He is God alone. This is Jesus. And He is worthy of your worship and praise. He is worthy of surrendering your whole life to Philippians 2.9 teaches us that God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is among, above every name. God has made him preeminent. Colossians 1.18, he's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Why? So that in everything he might be preeminent, the most important one. 
And as Peter will say later in chapter 3, verse 22, Jesus Christ has gone into heaven and is now right, right now at the right hand of God with all angels and all authorities and all powers having been subjected to Him. Jesus is our preeminent Redeemer. He is someone that you must make a decision about. For God has risen Him from the dead and given Him glory. So worship Him for His preeminence. Live lives of reverence, righteousness, and readiness because Jesus is precious. Jesus is precious because He's our pure Redeemer. He's precious because He's our promised Redeemer. He's precious because He's our personal Redeemer. He's precious because He's our preeminent Redeemer. And then just to finish off who He is. Jesus is precious because He's our purposeful Redeemer. And this sets up the next stage of what Peter's going to be saying on for the next couple of weeks. Peter states that Jesus has been revealed in these last days for your sake. Why? End of verse 21. So that your faith and your hope are in God. Again, God knew that these last days would bring many difficulties, many heartaches, many trials. God knew that people would increasingly scoff at His Word and reject it and not tolerate it. He knew that you and I would live at a time when everyone would be saying, you cannot trust what God's Word says. He knew that. And so, it is at this time, during these days of doubting, scoffing, and rejecting, that God, that God purposely chose to reveal His Son and raise Him from the dead exactly as He has promised. Why? So that you and I would have an everlasting reason to always trust in and hope in God. Exactly what God has said. See, when you look ahead to the end of chapter 1, Peter's complete thought here, just so you know, is not Jesus is risen so that our faith and our hope would be in God. The very next verses, verses 22 through 25, Peter talks about the living and abiding Word of God that remains forever and cannot fail. And as the end of verse 25 says, this Word is the good news that was preached to you. So the complete thought is not Jesus is risen so that your faith and hope can be in God. The complete thought is Jesus is risen just as God has said so that your faith right now can be fully and completely in God Himself. Because this Word is the good news that was preached to you. It remains forever. It can never fail. One of the reasons why you and I can and should trust everything that God has said for the present and for the future, down to every letter of the word, is because God has risen Jesus from the dead and given him glory just as he has promised. The reason why you and I can have both faith and hope in the midst of scoffers and doubters is because God's word is utterly trustworthy and we see that every time we look at Jesus. In his death, in his, in his life, in His death, in His resurrection and ascension, we see that in the good news that was preached to us, everything promised to us in the Gospel has always happened exactly as God has promised it would happen from before the ages began. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4, Christ died for our sins, how? In accordance with the Scriptures. And He was buried and He rose again the third day, How? This is the good news that was preached to us. It remains forever. It cannot fail. And if every word spoken of Christ is true, then every word spoken to us is true also. 
It remains forever and it cannot fail. So this is our hope. This is where our faith and our hope springs from as believers living in these last days, living as exiles in this world for the glory of God, as we're surrounded by doubt and unbelief, as we're hemmed in by trials and hardships on every side. How can I know that I can trust what God has said? Peter says you can. Look at Jesus. Look at how all the promises of God find their yes and amen in him. You can trust what God has said. The gospel tells us so. How thrilling that Jesus is our Redeemer for a purpose, so that your faith and hope would be in God. Because of Jesus, you can trust God in the present. You can trust God in your trials. You can trust God for the future. Because of Jesus, our faith and our hope are literally into God, growing out of Him. We can have a firm faith, a secure hope, and an unshakable joy because of Jesus. The ever-living fulfillment of of God's eternal word. For he is the word made flesh. So that brings us back full circle to verse 3 and to verse 13 of this chapter. We ought to bless God. And we ought to live lives of reverence and righteousness and readiness, not only because of the wondrous work of our redemption, but also because, preeminently because of the precious person of our redemption, Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, He is precious, for He is our pure Redeemer. He's our promised Redeemer. He is our personal Redeemer. He's our preeminent Redeemer, and He's our purposeful Redeemer. For all these reasons and countless more that we will praise Him for all of eternity over, Jesus is precious, and He's worthy of our worship today. As one of my favorite songs states, Precious Lamb of Glory, God's Most Wondrous Story, Heart of God's Redemption of Man, Worship the Lamb of glory. This is the Christian life. This is the Christian life. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. For He is most pure, most promised, most personal, most preeminent, most purposeful. He is most precious. Worship Him. Live lives of reverence, righteousness, and readiness until he returns, for he is our precious Redeemer. This is the Word of God from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience until the Lamb returns as King in all his glory. To that end, as the men come forward for communion this morning, let's pray. Father, I thank you. That this morning, through your word, we were able to take part in that which is happening in heaven right now. The worship and the praise of God the Son, both in spirit and in truth. Father, we thank you for our precious Redeemer, Father, I pray that if there is someone here this morning that is not trusted in Christ for their salvation, they would surrender their lives to Christ today, right now, right where they're seated. They would confess their sin and they would trust in Christ's gift of righteousness that he offered up on the cross. And Father, for the rest of us, 
as our hearts are often prone to looking at other things as if they are valuable and precious. Work in our hearts, O Father, that we might love the Lord Jesus more purely than we do. Grow our affection for Him. Grow our love for Him so that You might grow our worship of Him here in this world. We pray this not only for the salvation of the lost, but for the honor and glory of Your great name who has sent our precious Redeemer to earth to save sinners like us. Thank You. Thank You. In Jesus' name, amen.